to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 30 in the Old Testament. And the last time, the message was titled, A God Complex. And it was very interesting because, you know, you can look at the pharaohs, you could look at the monarchy in Europe, you could look at really any leader, right? Some, some leaders in our own country, uh, some lead and they govern, some feel like it's their God-given right to rule, and they're dictatorial. But when we go into the scripture... Certainly the message last Sunday, we really get to see the reason why if a leader who's given power doesn't have God to check them in their lives, to give them the right position in the universe, and they don't know that, their power and their ego can be unchecked. So it doesn't matter if we're looking at history or we're looking out at the world today. Some leaders are kind, they really care about the people they lead over, and others are ever increasingly trying to take power. And listen, we've seen it in our own country. Uh, We see it overseas. So all you got to do is watch these world leaders on the stage, see how they behave, how they act, what they say. So a God complex, definitely a very good sermon to get. And you can get it for free off the website. Uh, Today, the message is a type of the world or world system. Now, today we're going to be speaking about Egypt. We've been covering Israel and Judah and Tyre and Sidon and Babylon and Assyria. So we're really going to kind of end with this one nation, Egypt. And it's interesting to watch their ebbs and flows over the millennia. Very powerful, uh, very longstanding. We're going to, we covered chapter 29. We're going to do quickly 30 through 32. So four of these chapters in a row are devoted to Egypt. What does it mean? Egypt was a type of the world, and we can see that today, the world system. Remember, the world was forfeited back in Genesis when sin entered the world, and mankind sort of kind of forfeited to, the, to Satan and, and those forces because it's been corrupted. Now, we know that God's going to remake everything, but for the meantime, Egypt is still or when we go back to the scripture, is still a type of the world, right? And we'll see how did that affect the Israelites? How does that affect us today as Christians? So there's a lot going on there. Now, this is a Sunday morning. You expect application. You expect the sermon. You expect to leave the building and say, how can I apply this to my life? And we're going to do that. So something almost three millennia ago still has application in the themes. Nothing changes. Humans don't really change. You know, civilizations rise and fall. Humans are humans. Uh, But let me just give you this, right? So some say, you know, I'm not really so into the history lesson part of it. Um, That's just not what I'm into. But check this out. I'm going to make an analogy. And now it's going to, I think, open people's eyes if, if they weren't open before. So if I can make an analogy in 2021, This is commensurate to somebody today rising up in 2021 saying to everyone, I heard from the Lord and I have incredible detail and you've got to listen to me. In two years, in 2023, it doesn't matter the names of the, I'm not, this is not a political statement. It doesn't matter the names of the countries, 
So in 2023, Russia is going to invade Canada, and the Russians will be at our northern border of the United States at our doorstep. Now do I have your attention? That's what this is commensurate to. So what would be interesting if that happened today? I'm not making a prediction. <laughs> this is just an analogy. Uh, so it would have implications, number one, to the Canadians. So this was said in the United States. The Canadians would want to know, well, we want to hear more about this. The United States would say, I want to hear more about this because this could have implications to us. And the Russians would say, well, I guess we could do it. So when you go back in history and you look at what happened, to us it's a history lesson. To them it was, wow, how do we prepare for this? And some didn't prepare. They buried their heads in the sand and they suffered for it. So we're going to see this in three parts. We're going to look at the broken arm, the broken tree, and the broken monster. So let's jump in to Ezekiel chapter 30. The word of the Lord came to me, right? This is Ezekiel speaking again, saying, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, wail, woe to the day for the day is near. Even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds. The time of the Gentiles, a sword shall come upon Egypt and great anguish shall be in Ethiopia, which was formerly known as Cush. I'm going to get to that. When the slain fall in Egypt, they take away her wealth and her foundations are broken down. Ethiopia, Libya, Lydia, and all the mingled people, Chub, and all the men of the lands who are allied shall fall with them by the sword. We're going to look at some of these alliances. Thus says the Lord, those who uphold Egypt shall fall, and the pride of her power shall come down from Migdol to Syene. Those within her shall fall by the sword, says the Lord. They shall be desolate in the midst of the the desolate countries, and her city shall be in the midst of the cities that are laid waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord. When I have set a fire in Egypt, this is metaphoric, this isn't a literal fire, and all of her helpers are destroyed. On that day, messengers shall go forth from me in ships to make the careless Ethiopians afraid, and great anguish shall come upon them, as on the day of Egypt, for indeed it is coming. Thus says the Lord God, I will also make a multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Sometimes people try to allegorize these scriptures, which is a mistake and bad Bible exegesis. Uh, they also symbolize everything. But here God is specifically saying by whose hands this would happen. He and his people with him, the most terrible of the nations, shall be brought to destroy the land. They shall draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. I will make the rivers dry and sell the land into the hand of the wicked. I will make the land waste and all that is in it by the hand of the aliens or the foreigners. I, the Lord, have spoken. Thus says the Lord God, I will also destroy the idols and cause the images to cease from Noph. There shall no longer, which Naf is ancient Pelusium, uh, we'll get to that. There shall no longer be princes from the land of Egypt, right? When you think of the pharaohs, watch this. There was a definitive point in time where the pharaohs ceased and foreign entities started to run the country until nationalization later, which Egypt today is nationalized. It's got its own borders. I will put fear in the land of Egypt. I'll make Pathros desolate, set fire to Zoan, and execute judgments in Naf. I will pour my fury on sin, the strength of Egypt. I will cut off the multitude of Na and set a fire in Egypt. Sin shall have great pain. No shall be split. Na shall be split open. So interjecting a lot here. 
the names sometimes change and sometimes they don't. So Syria has always been known as Syria. Egypt has always been known as Egypt with some ebbing and flowing of the borders. And, um, but then something like uh, Persia became Iran. Uh, and, you know, some nations have changed their names. Some have not. So you just, we just kind of got to go into our encyclopedias and see. Basically, these are all cities and places within this, this area. And I'm going to say area because Egypt changed. And we're going to talk about that. The Naf shall be in distress daily and the young men of Avon and P. Beseth shall fall by the sword. And these cities shall go into captivity. At Taf to Hafanes, the day shall also be darkened when I break the yokes of Egypt there and her arrogant strength shall cease in her. As for her, a cloud shall cover her, her daughter shall go into captivity, thus I will execute judgments on Egypt, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Last few verses. And it came to pass in the eleventh year, Isaiah is very clear and he he takes historical note of when these visions came to him, these prophecies, and the people that were listening would also write down, okay, this is the date. So later on, 100, 200 years later, somebody couldn't say, well, he wrote that afterwards. Again, it wouldn't even be in the Bible if that was the case because it would have no meaning to it, right? And it came to pass in the 11th year in the first month on the seventh day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, I have broken the arm of the Pharaoh king of Egypt, metaphorically. And see, it has not been bandaged for healing nor a splint put on to bind it to make it strong enough to hold the sword. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I am against Pharaoh king of Egypt and will break his arms, both the strong one and the one that was broken, and I will make the sword fall out of his hand. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand. But I will break Pharaoh's arms, and he will groan before him with the groanings of a mortally wounded man. Thus I will strengthen the arm of the king of Babylon, put the arms of Pharaoh, but the arms of Pharaoh shall fall down. They shall know that I am the Lord when I put my sword in the hand of the king of Babylon as he stretches it out against the land of Egypt. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So one is broken arm. The Lord reveals, we, we start with the kind of the first metaphor of a ravaging fire, which was when the Babylonians, and, and this happened with many nations. Egypt had such a great power structure, but over the years as warfare has evolved and become more sophisticated, some of these nations were actually get in, were able to get into the heart of Egypt and cause some damage. Right? And we see these successive empires, Assyria, Babylon, uh, Medo-Persia, Greek, uh, Greece, Roman. And every time this new king, kid on the block flexed their muscles, their reach would go further and further east and west. And you can look that up in history. So verse 13, there will no longer be princes in Egypt. Now, there were, I don't know, 30 or so dynasties of Egypt and give or take, depending on which historian grouped which pharaohs together, nobody ever thought that the pharaohs would ever cease, that they would just, well, there's no pharaoh in Egypt now, is there? But there was a definitive time period that what happened was other nations would come in and conquer and they would become what's called a suzerainty or the Egypt would become a vassal state of the conquering nation. So We've heard of Cleopatra, right? The most famous Cleopatra was Cleopatra the Seventh. Cleopatra the Seventh. How many people realize that Cleopatra was not ethnically Egyptian? She actually was a Macedonian Greek. How many people knew that? Right? Not everybody. 
<laughs> and, you know, that had to do with the uh, Alexander the Great and his four, you know, quadrants after he died and the Ptolemy dynasty. And so Cleopatra VII was, she was very popular, very famous, uh, especially in the history books and the History Channel, but she was not ethnically Egyptian. So what happened was the pharaohs eventually started to cease. And we see what he's saying here. Verses 20 through 26, metaphorically, they had a broken arm, Pharaoh. The symbol of strength was broken. And you can even see, um, you know, vanity in the, in the ancients as van- vanity today. They didn't have social media, but they painted themselves on caves, you know, and, and, and you know, all these sarcophaguses and stuff. And, you know, the Pharaoh was mighty and, and he was flexed and he would have a sword in his arm. And it's so funny how God... It's almost like God, through his prophetic works, would say, well, that's the language you want to speak. I'll speak your language, you know, and you better pay attention. Uh, So he he metaphorically has a broken arm. I'll go through three of these historical facts quickly, and then we'll move more into the application phase of this morning. So three major uh, significant battles, etc., situations that caused the weakness of Egypt. 605 B.C., Pharaoh Nietzsche at the Battle of Carchemish, aligns himself with the Assyrians against the Babylonians, wrong side to be on, epic fail. Egypt goes, Egyptians go back, the soldiers to Egypt with their tail between their legs. 588 BC, uh, Pharaoh Hophra, or Apfris, he had multiple names, if you're familiar with Egyptian history, as many of them did. Uh, he tried to divert the Babylonians at 588 BC from invading Jerusalem. That became an epic fail. And as, we, as the numbers go down, you get closer to the present. 568 BC, the Babylonian invasion of Egypt hurt Egypt pretty significantly. And you know, what was going on here? Egypt had a lot of idolatry. Egypt was a type of the world and Egypt had exported a lot of their worship of animals, worship of hybrid beings. And, uh, unfortunately it negatively affected the Israelites and God had to punish them for that. So God eventually gives Egypt plenty of time and then he has to punish their idolatry and their wickedness. He has no choice but to do this. But he does give them a lot of time and he does minister to the Egyptians in many different ways over the centuries. And we can even see that in the scripture. So the bottom line is that the reign of terror would be truncated. It would be stopped. Now, on a smaller scale, right, you might have that supervisor at work who is a bully. Right? You might have somebody who um, oppresses you. You might have a situation where... And, and you just like this person, like somebody comes to your mind that I wish this person would, I don't know why they don't like me. I wish they would leave me alone. But I have to tell you in the decades that I've been a Christian, I've seen people humbled. I've seen things happen that, and I'm like, wow, nobody saw that coming. So people who have this God complex, who have unchecked egos, who are brutal to others, uncaring, right? You can see this in world leaders. Uh, Some of them didn't live to their 70s and 80s. They died in their 50s and 60s or even earlier. They were brutal. They were vicious. God has a way of giving people space to repent, but then also judging their wickedness if they refuse to change and repent. So, again, on a smaller scale, we've seen it happen. We've seen it in politics, certain politicians in our own nation that seemed like they were going to be the next president. They were going to be this. They were going to be that. And they fall from grace. 
and then they, their own party even turns on them. <laughs> Politics is a, just an ugly thing, you know. It's just something I certainly don't want to get into. Uh, so if we can put up the map, and I'll just show you visually what I'm talking about through the scripture. So this is a picture of the 25th Egyptian dynasty. And here is about that time is the Assyrian Empire, which is gaining in strength. But so is the Egyptian Empire gaining in strength. And it's very interesting that the, the, the Kushite takeover, so to speak, right? We know today as Sudan. Um, they use the fact that up here there was infighting and there was a breakdown in the Egyptian structure. So they marched north and they forcefully united the Egyptian empire. It's kind of a weird concept where your soldiers fight with other soldiers. There's death on both sides. And then you say, okay, we won. Now let's be friends and let's be a united empire. It's very strange how people work in the world, but this is it. Power does crazy things to people. So the Kushite empire was extremely powerful, but it was considered the Egyptian empire, 25th dynasty. Now, if you know your African history or your geography or your topography today, what you see is that... If, you, if you're familiar with it, which I am, is that Libya is over here. So this old Kushite, uh, you know, 25th dynasty encompassed modern-day Libya, modern-day Egypt, modern-day Sudan, Sudan, and modern-day Ethiopia. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you know those countries today in Africa, Africa has some 53, 54 countries, um, they were very large. And at the time, the Northeast was very populous and very powerful. Right? I, I covered this in Isaiah 19 and 20. I went all into African history. It was very cool. Uh, so this gives you an idea of how massive the Egyptian uh, empire was and how powerful the pharaohs were. So just kind of, and then what happened is they collapsed. They collapsed, Right? Sometimes an empire, you look at the Romans, they just become so powerful that it's just not manageable anymore. Verse 30, or chapter 31, we continue. He says, now it came to pass in the 11th year in the third month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude. You realize that not, this didn't just go out to the Jews, Right, to the Israelites, this went out to the Egyptians because God's desire for them was to repent and be saved. And this happened, you know, sometimes two years, sometimes a year, depending on when the prophecy was being made so that they would consider this and, and be humbled. Some did, some didn't. Whom are you like in your greatness? Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon. So this was the tree metaphor, right? With its fine branches that shaded the forest and of high stature, and its top was among the thick boughs, the waters made it grow. Underground rivers or waters gave it height, with the rivers running around the place where it was planted and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. Therefore, its height was exalted above all the trees of the field. Its boughs were multiplied and its branches became long because of the abundance of water. As it sent them out, all the birds of the heavens made their nests in its branches or its bows. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field brought forth their young. And in its shadow, all great nations made their home. So you see the metaphor sometimes goes to 
actuality. It goes back and forth. Thus, it was beautiful in greatness and in the length of its branches because its roots reached to the abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide it. The fir trees were not like its bows, and the chestnut trees were not like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was like it in beauty. I made it beautiful with a multitude of branches so that all the trees of Eden envied it that were in the garden of God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have increased in height and it set its top among the thick bows and its heart was lifted up in its height. Therefore, I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations, most likely referring to Nebuchadnezzar, and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out for its wickedness. So Jesus tells a, a parable about a mustard seed that grows abnormally into a tree and it becomes problematic. So when we look at the scripture and we see these metaphors of growth, sometimes unnatural growth or too much growth, you know, it's almost like when God gives a nation or a person a blessing and they abuse that blessing. So, you know, I have to, I have to bring all this down to what, what is the meaning of be, what's being said here, right? We're supposed to be humble about what we get from God. We're not supposed to use it to lord over other people or try to make other people jealous. And that's on a personal scale. But these nations did it on a national scale. And aliens, or the foreigners, the most terrible of its nations, have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen on the mountains and in the valleys. Its bows lie broken by the rivers of the land. And all the people of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. On its ruin will remain all the birds of the heavens, and all the beasts of the field will come to its branches. So on its ruin... These animals are finding shelter again so that no trees by the waters may ever exalt themselves for their height nor set their tops among the thick bows that no tree which drinks water may ever be high enough to reach up to them for they have all been delivered to death to the depths of the earth among the children of men who go down to the pit. Thus says the Lord God in the day when it went down to hell, I caused mourning. I covered the deep because of it. I restrained its rivers and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. I made the nations shake at the sound of its fall. Just to stop for a second, when you looked at Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, probably the people for thousands of years thought there will always be a tremendous dominant empire taking over, you know, somebody. And they're going to just gobble up all the nations like every successive empire did. What they didn't realize what God was doing is this reign of world domination, he started to shrink. So it happened with um, Egypt, it happened with Babylon, it happened with Assyria, and it happened with Greece and Rome. Um, so he speaks about, I made the nation shake at the sound of its fall. When I cast it down to hell together with those who descend into the pit and all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all that drink water were comforted in the depths of the earth. They also went down to hell with it, with those slain by the sword and those who were its strong arm dwelt in its shadows among nations to which of the trees in Eden will you then be likened in glory and greatness. So God's speaking through the prophet to Egypt. You know, what do you, what is your measure of greatness? What is our measure of greatness? When the disciples walked with Jesus, they bickered about who would be on Jesus's right and his left. They bickered about, you know, they didn't probably have the word back then, but who would be Jesus's generals? And Jesus rebuked them. And he said, if you want to be great, you better be a servant. They were probably like, 
Because, see, God's economy is different than what we're used to. The disciples, right, they were just men. They saw Rome, they saw Greece, before, and they thought, hey, this Messiah, he's going to conquer the Romans. We see him raise the dead, and we're going to be his generals, and we're going to lead the troops into war. They had no idea that Jesus' kingdom was not an earthly kingdom at that time. It will be in the future. So, you know, even for us, how do we look as Christians? What do we look at greatness as? Ten promotions, to have more people under us, to have a ton of money in the bank, to have more than your neighbor. Those are just worldly things. But everybody gets caught up in it. That's why you're here on a Sunday morning, right? To, you know, God is saying, listen, I gave you blessings, but you, you became abnormal in your power structure. And I had to take you down a peg. So... You shall, so he, I'm going to talk more about uh, the pit in the next chapter. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised or the other heathen nations with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and his multitude, says the Lord God. Like God saying to Pharaoh, is it all worth it? Is it really worth it what you're doing now? So two out of three is the broken tree. God is, is saying to the Pharaoh at the time, We start with Assyria, and you think that he's speaking about Assyria, but you realize that he makes this connection to Egypt. Now, if you look at the writings of the Egyptians, so I have an Egyptian historical aficionado who couldn't be here today, but he's going to call me and we're going to talk about it because he loves Egyptian history. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but if you look at, it's so funny, I was looking at the, the reign of the pharaohs and there was so many of them. I did so much research. I didn't, I didn't want to turn this into a college class, but I did it for my own enjoyment. And you could see each pharaoh, sometimes the next pharaoh would switch alliances. Well, we like these, we like Israel. And then the next one comes and he goes, no, well, we like Babylon or we like Assyria. And they just would, would turn on a dime. So God says, you have an attraction towards Assyria. But look what happened to Assyria. Do you really want to go down that direction? Right? And again, I'm paraphrasing. When I covered Isaiah 19 through 20, Assyria and Egypt, we learned that they fought each other in the late 8th century BC, and both soldiers, both soldiers, multitude of soldiers on both sides died. And then what does Egypt do? They make up, they kiss and make up, and they fight with the Assyrians against the Babylonians at the Battle of Carchemish. Egypt was impressed by Assyria until Babylon destroyed Assyria. Then there was nothing to be impressed by. And this was a, an omen to Egypt. You know, what are we relying on in this world? Right? God was asking Pharaoh. Who could get Pharaoh's attention? Nobody. Because he put himself as a pinnacle of, of the culture, right? And he also considered himself a god. And this was successive pharaohs they literally considered themselves as as gods so the only person that could get their attention was actually god (laughs) right and it's it's that saying that says you know when it comes to god there's only one god stop applying for his position right it's a it's a picture of humility and and people should read that sometimes because it's like who do you think you are you know but what are we relying on and I brought up, it's funny, I brought up and I thought about this, the bank account, right? What are we relying on? Our, some of us don't have a whole lot in the bank account. Some of us may have more than others. But 
You see how inflation's going up? <laughs> I mean, if we get into superinflation, what you think you have in the bank account is going to be worth about 50% or 60%. That's what inflation does. It takes what you've saved and you end up losing it overnight. It's the same figure, but it can't buy as much. So, and I'm just here to say, I, for me personally, I just get it. I just rely on the Lord. I can only rely on him. He's got to be number one because nothing else will stand the test of time. Egypt was unstable in her alliances. Israel was unstable in her alliance. Assyria was unstable in her alliances. Are we unstable in our alliances? And who are we aligned with? And why are we aligned with them? Friendship is great. However, sometimes people choose friends because of what they can do for them or what they can get for them. Do we make questionable alliances with questionable people for protection or to get a gain? I can tell you that I've done that in the past and I've gotten burned. And I don't look at God and go, oh, would you do that to me for? I know. I, I don't play games with God. When something happens, I can just objectively look in the mirror, look at my life and say, that's on you. You know what I'm saying? The mirror, right? I'm pointing to myself. It's not on God. It's on me. He just sometimes goes, you really want these people that much or that person? You think they could do more for you than I can? Have at it. And people complain. Why did this happen to me? What were your alliances? Who were the people you were hanging out with? What type of... Sometimes when someone is going the wrong direction, they shun their pastor, their leadership, and other Christians because they really want to go in this direction. And they know subconsciously that they're going to get good counsel from good people so they don't want to hear it. So they completely block out that section of their life and they go down that path and then they go, why did this happen to me? Please stop. Stop. We were all here for you. Verse 6. The bird, birds nesting in the branches, the wild animals. Again, Jesus spoke about this in the parable of the mustard really mustard it was like a bush that turns it, it, it and you know it's funny i've seen this in nature uh, maybe there's a certain uh, nutrient in the ground that makes something grow unnaturally and you know in, in a different location it grows normally and you see this abnormal growth where the you know then it starts to my wife's the master gardener it starts to bird nest and it it doesn't really last because it, it got too big too quickly as a lesson. So Jesus speaks about that in that parable. In Daniel 4, he speaks about this interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar being the great tree. And he said, and in its branches were the birds and the wild animals found shelter. Now that's a pretty picture. I'm all into nature. But you got to watch the metaphors. And you got to watch the symbolism. Right? In the parable of the soils, the, the seed is sown. And some fell on stony ground. And that's a picture of some people in the world, how their hearts are. They sort of, they hear the word, the things of God. And Jesus said, and the birds come and they snatch up the seeds. You ever see how quickly a bird can snatch up a seed? God loves birds. He made the birds. But in that metaphor, it's not good. <laughs> because the word is being snatched out of the person's heart. They never allowed it to really cultivate. Um, so this is a representative of things that are not good, unnatural growth to the point of bad things getting in. And as a matter of fact, when we look at some of these parables that Jesus told, there is a picture of even the church, the kingdom of heaven is like, and you find that some of these are negative. Wait a minute, the kingdom of heaven? 
what Jesus was doing was just telling us what is the fellowship of God's people supposed to look like and what is it not supposed to look like. I talked, I think, last Sunday about powerful churches in different time periods with armies and navies and worth billions of dollars. Is that God's impression for Christianity? I'm going to say the answer is no. And he also speaks about these organizations, that, these ecclesiastical organizations that get so big that the birds nest in them, that evil gets into these, and then you hear all these scandals. We'll, we'll, I like our size, you know what I'm saying? I'm not looking to just, be, just to become a, you know, go get a bigger building and 50,000. No, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. This is nice. We all can know each other's name and we recognize each other's faces. And, you know, sometimes bigger isn't better. So verse 15 through 18, I'm going to talk more about that. Uh, he speaks about the pit. He speaks about going down. So I'm going to save that one. And just go through four uh, quick instances about how God, let me just write myself a note here, is I want to reference Luke 16. So I'm going to do that, Luke 16. Very, very important. I didn't have it in my notes. Okay, so let's look at the four ways, A, B, C, D, of how we look at the scripture. We look at these really four chapters, if we include last Sunday. What's going on here? So, A, direct intervention or supernatural. So this is what, and and it's funny, I would like to watch the historian, Smithsonian, the History Channel, and I watch them try to explain an event that took place in an ancient civilization without using God. It was a catastrophe. It was a war, and it didn't seem like they could ever lose. But if you read the scripture, well, God gives us the reason for that, but they discount God. There you go. Uh, So direct intervention, supernatural, God will allow things to happen. Uh, He'll intervene. He'll use supernatural events. B, war. God either predicts a war because he knows the end from the beginning, right, which we see here. Uh, Babylonians, you'll never touch Egyptian soil. Yes, they did. (laughs) He predicts that a war is coming or he stirs up one nation to humble another nation. And when we get to Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is coming in a few weeks, it will blow your mind. Uh, So that's war. I have to laugh for a moment is that historical fact. So Cambyses of Persia was going to fight the Egyptians at the Battle of Pelusium. So Cambyses was very smart. He did research on the Egyptian culture and he found that they worshipped, among other things, they worshipped cats. And what he did was Cambyses took his troops and took all these stray cats with him. He didn't hurt them. (laughs) No animals were hurt in this metaphor. Um, this parable. So what he did was when he went to the battlefield, they released all of these cats and the Egyptians freaked out. They had their spears and their archers and they were afraid of hurting a cat. So the Persians came in and they, they killed them and the rest they took as prisoners. So Cambyses won at the battle of Pelusium. You can look that up. Strange things happen in history. Why did he even tell that? I don't know. Maybe because it's funny and it made you laugh, but C, infighting and disintegration. The PA conquest, which we looked up at at the map, which I showed, the PA conquest, which led to the Egyptian 25th dynasty, southern, the southern, or I would say it's more middle Africa, those countries were able, the Kushites were able to rise up and conquer northern Africa, Egypt, because Egypt was in a state of chaos. They were infighting. So they were able to take, now this is the funny thing too, when you hear lower and Lower Egypt and Upper Egypt, lower it's 
Lower Egypt is actually geographically north. It's more of an elevation thing. Upper Egypt, right, is geographically south. So it almost seems confusing, but when you look at a map, things aren't up and down. They're flat, right? So just to kind of get you up to speed on all that. Um, in fighting disintegration, it, I just wrote church on that. Uh, sometimes churches do this. They break apart on their own because there's too much infighting. Instead of working together, people are arguing with each other and vying for positions, which is ridiculous. And D, natural disasters. Again, um, when we look at the ebb and flow of the Nile, the Nile River, there were, you know, you could, the Nile was really God's gift to Egypt. Nile is a beautiful source of uh, natural resources. They can grow uh, cotton for clothing. They can, uh, they, there's fishing. There's, uh, you know, they can, they irrigate for, you know, for crops, etc. cetera. Uh, but so if you look at the Nile, if you look at history, the Nile has expanded and it's contracted. And when it's contracted, it actually hurt livestock growth and, and all those things. As a matter of fact, the Euphrates, I just, somebody sent me an article that it was a scientific periodical that the Euphrates over the years has been shrinking. Think about Revelation 16. So we always think, oh, they're always going to be there. Not necessarily. Okay. So chapter 32, last few verses, and then we're going to wrap it up is Egypt is lamented and it came to pass in the 12th year in the 12th month on the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man take up a lamentation for Pharaoh king of Egypt and say to him you're like a lion among the nations you're like a monster in the seas bursting forth in your rivers most likely he was referring to the crocs the vicious crocs that were there there's actually a lot less of them now Troubling the waters with your feet and fouling their rivers. You ever watch how the crocs move and they, they dust up the mud and all that kind of stuff? Thus says the Lord God. They're, they're kind of cute, but I don't think I would pet one. Maybe the millennial kingdom. Verse 3. I will therefore spread my net over you with a company of many people, and they will draw you up in my net. Then I will leave you on the land. I will cast you out in the open fields and cause to settle on you all the birds of the heavens. And with you, I will fill the beasts of the whole earth. I will lay your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. Not a pretty picture. Um, do you ever see how, you ever see how, I don't like to, I really love animals, so I'm very sparing on how I look at some of these major nature channels. You ever see how a croc kills something? It's brutal. You think, oh, they're, they're so low. You know, they're short. They don't, let me tell you something. When they get a hold of you, just stay away from crocs. Okay, just felt like I needed to say that. But they, they bring them in the water and they thrash and they spin and they drown it. And then, oh, it's just horrible. So it's a, it's a good metaphor that God uses here. <laughs> okay. I will also water the land with the flow of your blood, even to the mountains and the riverbeds will be full of you. When I put out your light, I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of the heavens I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord God. So some see this, and, and I don't get into splitting hairs, is that sometimes when, when God is speaking about that time period of Egypt, he'll take little references from Egypt's past, little references from maybe the future, the nations in our future, um, millennial kingdom kind of things, 
but the meat of it has to do with actually what was going on at the time. So some people see pictures of some of the plagues and different things, which I'm fine with that. I will also trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries which you have not known. Yes, I will make many peoples astonished at you, and their king shall be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword. So God is saying, I'm going to brandish my sword. Does God have a literal sword? No, he doesn't need one, but we're going with the metaphors, right? I brandish my sword before them, and they shall tremble every moment, every man for his own life in the day of your fall. For thus says the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you by the swords of the mighty warriors, all of them the most terrible of the nations. I will cause your multitude to fall. You see a, a parallel when he warns the Israelites. He's, now he's warning the Egyptians, but they're not listening either. Some did, many didn't. They shall plunder the pomp of Egypt, and all the multitude shall be destroyed. I will also destroy all its beasts from besides its great waters. The foot of man shall muddy them no more, nor shall the hooves of beasts muddy them. Then I will make their waters clear. I will make their rivers run like oil, says the Lord God. When I make the land of Egypt desolate, and the country is destitute of all that once filled it, when I strike all who dwell in it, then they shall know that I am the Lord. This is the lamentation with which they shall lament her. The daughters of the nation shall lament her. They shall lament, shall lament for her for Egypt and for all her multitude, says the Lord God. Again, we talked last Sunday about trade. Today we look at global trade and how a trade a backup in one country can have a serious effect on the supply chain of other countries. We're all interconnected in this global community. Well, they sort of had a primitive form of it back then. So there was lamentation when the, the trade stopped because of war came to pass in the 12th year on the 15th day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt and cast them down to the depths of the earth. Her and the daughters of the famous nations with those who go down to the pit. Whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down, be placed with the uncircumcised. They shall fall in the midst of those slain by the sword. She is delivered to the sword, drawing her and all her multitudes. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell. With those who help him, they have gone down. They lie with the uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Assyria is there. Now, not the whole country, but the leadership that was poised against God. So there's a generalization here. Is Assyria, none of these countries are monoliths. Assyria is there with all her company, with the graves all around her, all of them slain, fallen by the sword. Her graves are set in the recesses of the pit, and her company is all around her grave. All of them slain slain, fallen by the sword, who caused terror in the land of the living. There is Elam, the Elamites, and all her multitude, all around her grave. All of them slain, fallen by the sword, who have gone down and circumcised to the lowest parts of the earth, who caused their terror in the land of the living. Now they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. So he names all these nations that had, been, had done some wicked things and end up in this horrible place, which I'll explain. They have set their bed in the midst of the slain with all her multitude, with graves all around it, all the uncircumcised, slain by the sword, though their terror was caused in the land of the living, yet they bear their shame. With those who go down to the pit, I was put in the midst, it was put in the midst of the slain. Their mesjection, Tubal, we're going to see this in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And all their multitudes, with all their graves around it, and all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, though they caused their terror in the land of the living, they do not lie with the mighty who are fallen of the uncircumcised who have gone down to hell with their weapons of war. They have laid their swords under their heads, but their iniquities will be on their bones. Because of the terror of the mighty in the land of the living, yes, you shall be broken in the midst of the uncircumcised and lie with those 
slain by the sword. There is Edom, her kings, and all of her princes, who despite their might are laid beside those who are slain by the sword. They shall lie with the uncircumcised and with those who go down to the pit. There are the princes of the north, all of them, and the Sidonians, which we covered, who have gone down with the slain in shame of the territory, which they caused by their might. They lie uncircumcised with those slain by the sword and bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all his multitude. Pharaoh and all his army slain by the sword, says the Lord God. Before I go into the last verse, I have to explain that. Okay, so I know people, some of them are my friends, who that don't buy the whole God thing for various reasons. And they, some of them think, and you've probably heard this, that, you know, when I go, when I die, I'm going to go to hell and party with my friends. You better do a little research on that before you're going to, you know, go to your grave like that, bro. I really care about you. You know, I try to, you know, to say <laughs> that's not funny and it's not, it's not reality. So when it says that Pharaoh will be comforted, when you look up the Hebrew word, it means Pharaoh will sigh and take a deep breath. It's an indication of strong emotions. So I liken this too, is that not comfort in that, oh, this is a great time down here. This is sort of a misery loves company sort of comforted. A strong emotion, a deep sigh. You know, it's just almost as if, if you're in hell and you're miserable and you go, Oh, good. Bob's coming down here. I hated that guy while we were on the earth, you know, sort of a weird misery loves company. You know, the Assyrians that, you know, the, the, the brutal ones, you know, the, the Elamites, the Sidonians, Pharaoh's going to see the same thing. So he's trying to say to him, amend your ways, amend your ways. Hell's not fun. It's not funny. Uh, some churches don't preach it anymore. They, they're going to have to missed whole parts of the Bible because they don't want to trigger anybody or offend somebody. Listen, you could be triggered by the concept, but that's not going to stop the reality of that it exists. And, and there's a way to get there. So me, I would prefer not to be liked here and people to watch and turn it off and say, this isn't the church for me. I'm okay with that because I know I did my job. Just like God was warning them through Ezekiel, I'm warning whoever's watching who may be here today I'm also warning you through Ezekiel. Last verse. For I have caused my terror in the land of the living, and he shall be placed in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord God. I don't know how people read like, you know how you ever see people like read the scripture like nonstop for like 10 hours? I'd be out of breath. Okay. So three out of three is the broken monster or the croc. Sorry, crocodiles, but this is the metaphor that God uses to show what type of person Pharaoh and his multitudes have become. Okay, and it goes back to last Sunday's message, a God complex. And I'm going to tell you something. I hear some of, some of the leaders of the world, and I hear some of the leaders in the United States, and the more we move away from the culture uh, of respecting God, of you know, Judeo-Christian values, the more these leaders become... They're becoming wacky in the things they say. We must listen to them. This is an order. You know, I'm like, dude, you are a, you're an elected official. You're a servant. How do you get? So, and and they, you know what? It's amazing when they get revoted, they get voted back in again. Why do we vote incumbents back in? They shouldn't be there for 40, 50 years. Both parties. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I waded into the political discussion and I waded out. Let's go back to the Bible. I'm fair. Both parties, man. Stop voting them in. Matthew 28, Jesus said, do not fear. Don't be afraid of the one who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Respect or fear the one or have reverence for the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So what Jesus was saying is, is don't focus on the Roman soldiers. Don't focus on the religious leaders. Don't focus on, stop. Focus on the Lord. Tune these people out, right? So Egypt was a type of, of relying on ungodly things. Sometimes because we think God isn't moving quick enough for us. So I saw this, I saw a commercial, right? My wife and I like to watch the Food Network because nobody talks politics on that channel. It's one of the few sacred, it's food. They're not Republicans or Democrats. Just look at the food and how it's cooked. Did you notice now, and I don't know if you've taken notice, but I'm an observer by nature. With, with, since COVID, you know, and a lot of people, the studies are shown, a lot of people staying home and watching television. You ever see how many commercials are on every channel? My goodness, we flipped two channels. Oh, they're on the 10th commercial. Literally, flip back. So my wife and I are sitting on the couch, and we're talking. But we're, we're hypervigilant. We're both observers. And a commercial comes on. And it was a quick commercial, but it was shocking. It was, uh, and I never saw it. I don't know if you see it. I don't care. It's just a reference point. So there's a sitcom called Moms, Moms, and there's an ad for the sitcom Moms. And there's a, a mom, right, a young mother, and like her nine-year-old daughter, and they're kneeling down to pray. This happens very quickly. And she says to her daughter, who should we pray to? She goes, I know. Let's pray to Satan. I hear he gets things done. Have, you, have anybody seen that commercial? A few people. Very few. It happened quick. And we were, my wife and I were talking. I'm like, did you just hear that? So this whole idea, folks, our culture is becoming decadent. They, they tease it during the Super Bowl stuff and the symbolism. They tease it through these ads. They're teaching it in the school. The IRS actually gave a few years ago the Church of Satan uh, the rights to be tax exempt. This is a fact. You can look it up. This is sick. This world, we're supposed to love the people, but this world system has nothing for us as believers. We're, we're only going to spend a limited time here. So this is what's going on and what Satan controls the world system. So this is no surprise that he knows his time is short. He's coming out more. He's making it so it's a subtle thing. We're, we're conditioned to subtly accept this now, right? There's a lot of debates in, in uh, school board meetings over various things. And that's one of the things where they're teaching weird stuff. They're teaching um, grade school kids about... I can't even say from the pulpit, like of uh, very graphic sexuality and parents are like, this is ridiculous. This is, I don't want this being taught to my kid. If I'm going to teach him about that, I'm going to teach him. But when I feel that they're ready to hear it. So this is what's going on in our culture, the type of the world. Let me just touch on uh, this whole thing with hell and, and, you know, where some people go. If you have more questions about that, I did a teaching in Luke 16 with the rich man and Lazarus and Jesus goes into depth about where people go when they die, the holding tanks and, you know, pre-Christ and post-Christ. So, you know, the rich man had, uh, he didn't go to hell because he was rich. 
He went because he had a God complex. He was okay with Lazarus. Never was concerned about Lazarus. He was at the gates. They threw their trash out there. Lazarus would pick through it. Lazarus was sick. He had sores. The dogs licked his wounds. The dogs had more compassion than than the guy who owned the estate. Um, So he had no concept of God. He had a God complex. And when he died, he went to hell. And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Lazarus was comforted, not because Lazarus was poor or not because he was sick. We have to stop interjecting our United States social culture into the Bible. It's because he had a heart for God. But the point was that he wasn't suffering anymore. And the man who lived in opulence, who didn't care about anybody else, now he was suffering. So Luke 16 gives us a really good picture of this whole idea about you know, hell and, and the holding tanks and things like that. But the, the truth is nobody has to go there. There's not one person who has to go there. So in closing, ancient Egypt is a type of the world. And here we see that Egypt was humbled. Um, and if we look at Egypt today, it's nothing like it was in its former glory. Uh, starting with the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, pretty much that was it. Uh, no more pharaohs, no more oppression. That was the end. And Israel, God's people, had an on-again, off-again relationship with, this, with the Egyptians who were a type of the world. However, sadly enough, some self-professing Christians have this love affair with the world. Listen, we're supposed to love the people in the world, but we're not supposed to love the world system because we know who runs the world system. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world system or anything in the world system if anyone loves the world system love for the father is not in them very important some believers are out to lunch on this they don't see the decaying there they are the frog in the pot that's slowly boiling they're so enamored by the world that they don't realize that our culture is declining that it's decadent and some of them don't care they don't care so the truth is Like God dealt with Egypt, this world system is not going to last forever. It will be broken down. Where will that leave the carnal believers? Well, I just want to throw one scripture at you in Revelation 18. It says this. So this is a future from our time. I talked about Babylon. I talked about the world system. I talked about the Antichrist. I talked about the consolidation of the nations. And even then, God is so merciful. He says, chapter 18, Revelation 18, 3, for all the nations, all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication spiritually with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Some of my people are still in there. But you better not stay there. Remember Lot and his family? Lot's wife? Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. God is saying, you have to make a decision for me. Now, you've you got to stop doing this. For her sins, this world system, have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. And this is powerful because, you know, today, what is it going to take for some to stop straddling the world And Jesus, because Jesus respects himself and his attitude will be like, go ahead, have the world. You think you're straddling me in the world? Jesus has to be standalone. People ask me this question all the time. Jesus is not going to share. The Lord isn't going to share his glory with anyone. 
So it's something to consider as we close that, yes, this happened three, close to three millennia ago, but yes, it's also applicable today. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.